Welcome to the Fordham IPLJ podcast with your online editor, Anthony Zangrillo. This week, I'm here with special guest, Kathy Walter. Hi. And also, we're here with special guest, Doreen Small, a founding partner of McCart and Small LLP, a highly regarded intellectual property lawyer and a foremost expert in the field of fashion modeling law. Hi. Uh, so, Kathy, I believe you wrote a note. So the, the main part of the topic has to do with the recent uh, social media. They're, they're sort of coined as the social media uh, regulations that came down from the FTC December, December 2015. And these were uh, guidelines uh, slash regulations that the FTC had put out uh, trying to explain a little bit more about how people should be handling themselves, uh, in particular, how sponsors should be handling themselves or marketing themselves uh, online. So in places like Facebook and Twitter, um, but also in blogs and, and other online properties. Um, and last November uh, at Fordham, we had a, a great panel of speakers that came and spoke about this particular topic. And I had written uh, a blog article about it uh, last spring. But the update and sort of the interesting way that this has progressed or the, the way that these uh, guidelines have come into force um, have, have really been kind of interesting. And so I thought it'd be an interesting topic to discuss and, uh, and get some expert opinions. And that's where uh, Doreen comes in. So I'm very excited to have you join us today, Doreen. Well, I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, yes, it's a topic that's very interesting to Ali, my law partner, and to me. And we, we also, we teach fashion modeling law at Fordham Law School, uh, part of the Fashion Law Institute. And we represent models and bloggers and influencers, artists, um, sports figures, all sorts of interesting people um, who partake in social media and social commerce as well. And uh, what we've seen um, over the course of the last year is that the, the clients for the models and bloggers, influencers, services understand that the responsibility is theirs, but try often try to push that responsibility onto the influencer and the blogger or the model in, in, in the form of a contractual agreement. We, we've also seen that these guidelines, the FTC guidelines, have been enforced as much as they have been enforced, which is not all that extensive, um, really only as it pertains to bloggers and influencers and models and not so much celebrities who walk the red carpet or um, accept tons of swag uh, for their everyday life. And none of that seems to require a hashtag ad or a hashtag sponsor or hashtag partner. Yeah, that was the thing that interested me um, in all of this is right after that, um, that panel, uh, where we were discussing this topic and, and, and kind of bringing it more to life because there were a number of folks there that were influencers uh, as well. What I found fascinating is I went to a newsstand and I picked up a Cosmopolitan magazine and I happened to get access to a Hollywood Reporter magazine. And what I found really interesting is you did not have to go many pages in and you could see the ads that were there that were very obviously, you know, the perfume ads and the and the you know stylist ads and those types of things, 
But, for instance, in the Cosmopolitan, right on the front cover, it had this very down at the bottom, it listed what was supposedly all of the products that that cover photo, that person that was on the cover, was using or wearing or somehow help that style that she had come out. Um, and, and that list was literally right inside the, the front cover. So you really didn't have to go far at all. And, and what struck me was, I know for a fact on, on modeling shoots, et cetera, there's a ton of other products that are used, which of course were not listed. And some of that was probably the same products that were listed. So in other words, if there was a hair, a particular hairspray that they claimed was being used, they might have spritzed like one <laughs> pump, one pump of that hairspray on that model. But the reality was whatever else they were using was actually the thing that was causing that effect to happen. Um, well, well, yeah, and and they do it because the people they're flagging on the cover have bought ads in the right. inside of the book, right. so they're rewarding their advertisers. Right, and you you also see that with with models who may be featured on the cover of Vogue or Bazaar or um, or even celebrities who were featured on those covers and you'll see pretty much close to the the cover an ad from Estee Lauder or an ad from one of the other companies that engages the celebrity or the, the model. So there's quite a bit of <laughs> quid pro quo here and the other thing is that we've we've all we've all become inured to the advertorial, but the native advertising um, looks increasingly like editorial content, yeah. and or and and really blurs the lines between what is paid and what isn't paid. And I think that there are consumers who are can be confused, misled into believing that these are in fact legitimate stories rather than paid advertisements. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. In the Hollywood Reporter, the way that that came out was you had um, two actors uh, who were, there was like a group of under 20 actors or 20-something actors that were being pointed out. And, and they were saying, you know, after a long day's shoot, they all went out and we gave them to just take photos of themselves out having fun. And they happened to be out at a bowling alley. And so when I first read it, I said, oh, that's really interesting that they would allow them to do that. And that's kind of fun. And but when I dug into it deeper, the one actress that had um, her particular photos in color, she was wearing dress, came up later, not marked as her being in a in a Miu Miu dress, but um, but it came up later. And then when I went online, that same photo appeared in other places, not just for that article, but wherever that other, that particular actress was mentioned online, she was wearing that dress. And when I dug in further and did a search on her and... Mew Mew. Mew. <laughs> it stands for Miuchia Prada. Uh, she's the designer for Prada and Mew Mew, so that's her nickname. That Mew. makes more sense, Mew Mew. Um, but what was interesting was wherever she was featured, she was in that Mew Mew dress. And so when I dug into it online and, and did more searching, what I found out is that she actually has appeared in several. She was at the last Miu Miu um, fashion show. Uh, she is basically some, somewhere along the line, 
Mau Mau is, is sponsoring her, right? Is giving her some type of dollars because she's coming up and it's being reported in all of these Hollywood um, uh, type of articles that, that she's connected with this company, right? And so yeah, at the very least, they're giving her the clothes yeah. that, and or she and or her stylist are being paid for her to wear that. And, and that's, that's common. The, the red carpet, I, I think more uh, stars are honest about what they wear and if they get paid to wear the clothing, if their stylist gets paid to put certain things in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I still don't, I still think there's a, a lack of awareness on the part of the, the consuming public that this is that I think they know that the gowns are lent and the jewelry is lent, but I don't think they completely understand that there's payment also involved to get somebody to wear their clothing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was talking, I used the example the other day, I was talking to somebody, I used the example of uh, the golf course when you watch professional golf and you see the golfers are pretty much walking signboards for all of their sponsors. And somebody pointed out to me that that mostly people who watch professional golf understand that there's money being paid, that this is a true endorsement, a true sponsorship, um, that it's a, a commercial deal. I think the, the native advertising is much blurrier and uh, the runway is much blurrier um, in terms of what exchange what exchanges is happening between the parties and so can you talk a little bit about what you know how does the FTC think of deceptive advertising how do they how is the like legal standards for uh, deciding that something's deceptive or or well it's the standard it's it's a false advertising standard it's that a reasonable number of reasonably prudent customers would be deceived, would be fooled into thinking that uh, that the product is actually as efficacious as it seems to be, or that um, there was no exchange, no, not that it was not paid. So, and and I think the FTC, it's not so, it's it's a reasonable person person standard, but it's almost that the there is an irreducible minimum of really not so smart people out there, and I think that's those are the people they're trying to protect um, from making their purchasing decisions based on this influencer they love or the blogger they follow, and the blogger disingenuously disingenuously is talking about this is my favorite. Um, sweater, this is my favorite pair of boots, and and not disclosing that they've been provided with uh, the, the goods and paid to say these things. And so that's what the, again, it's a, basically it's a false advertising standard that the FTC is looking to expand into social media and social commerce with these guidelines. And where do you see when when you have clients that come to you that are doing this type of work and that you know want to comply? Do you see any frustration? Is it starting to become obvious that these things are still going on, but they're being held to a different type of standard? Well, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of there are frustrations on a number of different levels. I mean, many of the influencers, bloggers, models want to have an authentic voice and. Um, feel were concerned that if they if they put the appropriate hashtag in their 
post that it would it would affect their their viewers followers um, so far that has not really been the case I think they've managed to maintain their authenticity and credibility what I find and the the guidance I give them is that when the client puts in a contract that they want the person to comply, I ask, I, I put back in the contract, tell us in what form you you want this compliance to to take. Do you want, you tell us, do you want a hashtag spawn, hashtag sponsor, hashtag ad, hashtag partner? We'll do it, but you tell us what you want. And um, try to push the burden back to where it's intended to be, which is on the the, the party who's engaging the services of the of the um, the blogger and the influencer, rather than the blogger herself. And just to give folks a sense too, when you say client, what kinds of companies are doing this kind of this type of stuff with um, with bloggers and, and the like? Clothing companies, cosmetics companies, uh, hotels. Uh, you, you know, they offer trips. Come, come stay for free with your family. Just post X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and we'll even pay you for while you're there. Or um, wear this outfit at this time at this event and post about it. Or uh, you've just found this new fabulous cosmetic we can't live without. Uh, post it on your on your blog and your personal Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. So. It could be with everything. It could be with a car company. It could be the 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 advertising model has changed for pretty much everybody. It's gone from paper, magazines, newspapers to electronic media, social media, and these companies are putting their advertising dollars in, in, into the media mechanisms they think will give them the most bang for their buck. And they're seeing influencers and bloggers really do have influence and sway over uh, a very coveted demographic. And um, so it could, we, I see pretty much now every company that engages the services of our clients has some kind of social media calendar, social media guidelines, social media um, expectation, and social commerce expectation. Do you still find, too, that there are, though obviously there is a lot of um, movement onto social media, do they also still have elements where they might feature these folks in print and media advertising? Oh, sure. It's a combination. It's, it's, uh, it, it can be. It depends upon the person. So at a traditional modeling agencies, the, the models who have... Um, numerous followers, they'll, they can do a campaign, uh, a print campaign, which will have, will have, maybe have a billboard component sometimes, um, point of sale, uh, sometimes even packaging, lots in, in, in newspaper, it'll have lots of different components and plus the social media component. But if it's, if the person is, is really just a social media person, there, there won't be. It'll, it'll, it'll just be, you know, how many, where, which media you, you, the posts need to be. Uh, sometimes it's in connection with an event, like uh, the Cannes Film Festival, or so uh, uh, an influencer or a model will will attend 
the Amphar Gala at Cannes or um, to walk the red carpet, as we were talking about, and wear certain things, jewelry, clothing, and, and post, post before the event, at the event, at, at the after party. You know, um, if there's a clothing launch, there'll be a, a social media calendar attached to that. Um, so yeah, it could be, it's either a combination or it can be exclusively um, social media, but I'm seeing, I'm not seeing, if, if a model has even the smallest social media footprint, the, the print tends to also include social media. I, it's, it's, it's pretty rare now that I see exclusively print, mm-hmm. unless unless it's a you know, commercial model or a, um, you, you know, B model, the A models who have certain following. It, it, it's, it's a combination. Well, you mentioned live events. So what is the rule of disclosure if, let's say, one of these influencers was given free tickets? So you mentioned Cannes Film Festival. So I don't know if maybe a movie studio wanted them there and they were really given the ticket for free to be there. Really, there's no monetary compensation going to them. Is there any yeah, rule I don't. I think a free ticket, I, I don't think that would really catch anybody's eye as, as, a, as a violation of the regulation. It would be, if you're going to the event and, and you're wearing a $2 million diamond necklace yeah. and you're sitting in the front row and you've been, you're also being paid to sit in the front row, then there should be a certain amount of disclosure. See, because I find it fascinating. So I um, run a website on the side that does movie reviews and none of the mm-hmm. reviewers pay for the films, that there's always a screening in advance and everybody goes there. Mm-hmm. But really nobody discloses that. It's just – it's like they would just assume everybody knows that they don't pay for the films. When you think about it, you would have a different interpretation of the film. Let's say if you saw it in IMAX, you saw it for free compared to if you you know paid uh, $20 or more in the city for it. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of been customary in the industry that there are free screenings for reviewers and guilds and um, and and I, I I don't think the the price of a ticket is is so extent so high that it would sway your judgment one way or the other. Yes, you might have a different experience if you see it you know, in a crowded multiplex than you do in a private screening. But it, I, my sense is that, you know, the $20 ticket, whatever, wouldn't sway your judgment. You're not being bought. Um, mm. The way the FTC is concerned that the opinion of certain bloggers is being bought. Mm. Yes, that's very interesting because I was just comparing it to um... – what was the case with uh, PewDiePie that he was paid to um, not say anything negative about, I believe it was Shadow of Mordor, the video game. And in the wake of that, I saw a lot of video game companies that I used to work with gave those uh, guidelines that you had to put, oh, you received a mm-hmm. game for free. Not that there was any, mm-hmm. I, I didn't get paid uh, you know, to give any influence, you know, influence or comments or something like that. But I never saw that before that case. So it was mm-hmm. more like, I guess, uh, heightened concern. Well, that's good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, it's, it's being extended to industries other than the fashion and beauty industries. Yeah, because that would be a concern too. If it's, I mean, the, the whole idea, or the whole 
piece of putting this note together um, was the idea that I saw this imbalance between what was happening on social media or what seemed to be sort of being pushed on social media and what was not at all changing on the on the print side. So if there was also an element of certain industries were doing it and certain other industries weren't, that would that wouldn't hold a, a good precedent either. So if it is being pushed, even in the case of uh, something like a video game, which you could see being more like forty or fifty dollars, sometimes more, um, at the same way that it's being pushed in the fashion and and media industry, um, that that seems to be setting a good a, a good way forward. Yeah, that's so. It expands the, your thesis a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it is more broad. But but I am I, I want to ask. I I think kind of to to close this off or close this thought off is to your mind. You know, it took the FTC and it and it does take government agencies a long time to put these guidances together, especially in the case of something like social media and and online technology, which is constantly changing constantly new things coming out and they had to write the guidelines in such a way that it would be able to still keep expanding even as all these new elements come out. But I'm curious in your mind going forward, you know, if there is this big gap still sitting in the print world or in the, in the offline media, if you will, like, uh, uh, you know, billboards and, and the like or events, if it's still going on in these areas what do you see as some ideas or some solutions to how what is kind of happening now on the online space could either be back applied to those things or some other way that perhaps uh, companies could look at at being better at sort of pointing out these places where uh, where it is really an advertisement, um, even well, as they try to bring things together? Companies are, are not going to voluntarily do anything. Um, I think what will happen is that um, there'll be a consumer hue and cry, that more consumers will file grievances, consumers will um, shake the FTC tree and say, you know, we understand you're you're trying to protect us in this realm, but what about in this realm? The, the, The the basic FTC guidelines and the rules concerning false advertising have been applied to print for a long, long time now, um, but not in, in different contexts, mostly in the context of uh, a product making a claim that is is not quite true, or um, even in the case of Photoshop, mm-hmm. where um, certain uh, stars or model mostly with celebrities uh, or, or Photoshop beyond recognition. Uh, England, the UK is a little bit ahead of us in enforcing the false advertising guidelines in, in that respect, but mostly it's that consumers start saying, what's happening here? I This is this doesn't seem quite right. And, and then the FTC the FTC will will take all of that under advisement and see if it needs to tweak the regulations or come up with different regulations or expand its enforcement net. Um, the enforcement net hasn't been cast very wide at all, even in even in this in the social media um, electronic media area. Um, it's really just kind of beginning, 
and you do, there are three, four, six cases, something like that. Not very many. So it's a it's a ever evolving um, application to these guidelines, and the guidelines themselves, as you pointed out, will will expand as as consumers request or demand. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Doreen. Oh, you're very welcome. Happy to join you. Lovely to meet you both. And uh, if you ever have any questions about the fashion modeling world or the wonderful world of social media, I'd be happy to hop on another call with you. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. Bye.